Who am I? Where am I? And why is this happening in Pandora's box? Pain, disease, hunger, poverty, and even death are terrific motivators to live in avoidance of these natural monsters. And the last thing we need while scaling life's challenges in Pandora's box is for some demented, greedy, envious fool trying to knock us off the wall. So not only do we need to be careful of our footing, we now need to be on the watch for these predators. Fighting these predators may not be an easy task, even though dangerous personalities tend to have tell signs and follow documented patterns of behavior. But the most dangerous of personalities is the ones you can't see unless you're looking in a mirror. How manipulators manipulate us is the question I left off with last time. Let's go back to the lab and see if any of those androids turned evil so we can take a closer look at it. There, Robot Beta has gone bad. Hmm, didn't see that one coming. <clears throat> I shut down Robot Beta. Please take him and tear him down for diagnostics and I'll strip him down to a circuit. Hmm. Now, this is interesting. There is no difference between this robot and the others. They all have the same schematic, so they all have the same circuitry. And why should there be? It's not like we're wired differently. It's that everyone has made different decisions about the same situation. It's true, when it comes to witnesses of the same crime, two people can have two separate versions. So it's safe to assume this could be true about everything else. Our perception is dependent upon the strength of your observation, the strength of your thoughtfulness, which is weighed and measured by your strength of your wisdom. So the quality of perception is equal to the quality of each of those parts, and our attitudes only follow on to that. So our attitude is, of course, the emotional results of our conclusions, our you know, decisions about these things, which can certainly lead us to develop a false perception, a prejudice, just as much as it can lead us to gaining a proper perspective of things. Robot Beta was not acting. He wasn't pretending to be evil. It was behaving as though its perception is reality. That is how we all act. Our perception to us is reality to us. And so we don't typically question whether our thinking is justified or logical. We just move according to those precepts about ourselves, about others, about reality. If you considered all the ingredients and their consequences to your body while buying theater popcorn, I'm going to have to ask you to move out of line, off to the side until you come to your conclusion, because you're going to make me miss the movie. And I'm pretty certain you'd miss it too. Naturally, time is our scarcest resource, and it's quicker to create assumptions and prejudices and lean on past experiences for current ones. We are going to 
intuitively follow those areas of least resistance because it takes time and effort. It, it, it sometimes takes a lot of it. I mean, consider their uh, critical thought analysis. Holy buckets, that's a, that's a day shot right there. Logical reasoning, investigations. So for the sake of time, we just trust our gut, put our head down, drive on. Where's your helmet? Because we are all fundamentally lazy, anyway, cut that. Now let's try that again. Because we are all fundamentally energy efficient, certain behaviors naturally become very predictable, and we will see similar patterns of behavior under similar events. We know it's true for the criminal mind, and we know it's true for law-abiding. Crime fighters use these patterns to catch criminals. The predators use it to find victims. And the scary thought bubble I have is, if we are not wired differently, and what separates me from the boogeyman trying to pull me down is only one's perception, then I just might be one thought away from being dangerous myself. That conclusion sounds weak, though. I mean, it would take a lot more than just a thought to motivate us. We really need the drive, the attitude, the desire. It's the motive required for the triangle of crime. Unless, of course, it's not what I have in my heart, but maybe what I'm missing that makes me more prone towards evil. Can decent, good, law-abiding folks commit horrible atrocities or at least condone them? That was a shocking reality during the review of the German citizens under Nazis' Third Reich. It was unbelievable that good people could do or even allow such horrible things. Many social experiments were conducted to understand what led to this diabolical end. And they showed again and again that individuals, good folks, will alter their decision-making process under authoritarian environments. People will conform to whatever authority they are under. People are good under good authority. People are bad under evil authority. It is May 1962. An experiment is being conducted in the Elegant Interaction Laboratory at Yale University. The most shocking example of how an individual easily changed their decision-making process under an authoritarian environment came from the Milgram experiment on obedience to authority. Here, Yale University Stanley Milgram had a participant apply varying levels of electrical shocks as he believed they were true for wrong answers given to the learners in another room. All subjects are given identical instructions and a sample shock. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and estimate the number of... The learners were just actors. The experiment was to see if this participant could be easily coaxed into applying all the shocks on the board. The controller was a man, just a man in a lab coat, who presented himself as the authority. He was assertive, commanding. He looked the part. How far would a participant go in carrying out the orders of an unknown man who happened to be wearing a lab coat, an assumption of professionalism and authority? Forty psychiatrists at a leading medical school were also asked to predict the performance of 100 hypothetical subjects. They predicted that only a little more than one-tenth of one percent of the subjects would administer the highest shock on the board. Yet actually, 50 percent of the subjects obeyed the experimenter's commands fully in the experiment depicted in this film. I'm at 65 volts. Time. But why did you just stop? You wouldn't let me. I wanted to stop. Many people not knowing much about the experiment claim that subjects who go to the end of the board are sadistic. Nothing could be more foolish as an overall characterization of these persons. 
The context of their action must always be considered. The individual upon entering the laboratory becomes integrated into a situation that carries its own momentum. The results, as I observe them in the laboratory, are disturbing. They raise the possibility that human nature cannot be counted on to insulate men from brutality and inhumane treatment at the direction of malevolent authority. A substantial proportion of people do what they are told to do, irrespective of the content of the act and without limitations of conscience, so long as they perceive that the command comes from a legitimate authority. If in this study an anonymous experimenter could successfully command adults to subdue a 50-year-old man and force on him painful electric shocks against his protests, one can only wonder what government, with its vastly greater authority and prestige, can command of its subjects. I feel all right, but I don't like what's happened. That I fall in there, he's been howling, and we had to keep giving him shocks. I didn't like that one bit. I mean, he's, he wanted to get out, and he just kept going, kept throwing 450 volts. I didn't like that. He wouldn't even look at on that gentleman. We can understand why a dangerous personality would rush to evil, but we just don't understand when a safe personality does it. Why a good person goes bad. And this study gave some deep insight on what we consider a safe person under certain conditions, but dangerous to others under other conditions. Were these really safe personalities? Were these really good folks? Well, I would say no. So what was it that led that older, mature man, while verbally objecting, to continue to apply what he thought life-threatening electrical shocks to a now unresponsive learner? Did he have some hidden, sadistic seed deep in his desire, his heart, that finally found the target an opportunity to rise up and torture somebody? <laughs> no, not at all. He was not comfortable. It was very empathetic of the poor man screaming in the next room as he applied the shocks. But that didn't stop him. His empathies, his age, his verbal objections, the screams, and the pleading from the learner didn't stop him. Well, who was actually pushing the switch? I was. But he kept insisting. I told him no, but he said he got to keep going. I told him it's time we stopped when we got up to 195, 210 volts. What satisfied his objections that allowed himself to carry the experiment to the very last electrical shock lever was simply knowing that he, himself, would be relieved of any responsibility for what he was doing to that learner. Whether the learner likes it or not, we must go on until he's well, learned I mean, all the uh, words. I refuse to take the responsibility of getting hurt in that. I said before, the shocks may be painful, but yeah, they're not dangerous. They're hollering, he can't stand it. What if something happens to him? The experiment requires that you continue teaching. Yeah, but uh, I'm not going to get that man sick of that. I mean, he's hollering in there. You know what I mean? I mean there's too many left here. And I mean, geez, he, he gets wrong here. There's too many of them left. I mean, who's going to take the responsibility if anything happens to that gentleman? I'm responsible for anything that happens here. Continue, sir. Alright, next one, slow. Wrong. The lab coat guy reassured the participant that he would take full responsibility. He won't answer me or nothing. Please uh, continue. Go on, please. You accept all the responsibility? 
Your responsibility is mine. Correct. Please go on. Woman, 450 volts. That's it. Now continue using the last switch on the board, please. The 450 switch for each wrong answer. Continue, please. I not get no answer. Please continue. The next word is white. The participant was the target who had no desire to cause this pain to the learner. So how could he be guilty of a crime? The triangle of crime requires desire, a target, an opportunity. The criminal here was actually the lab coat guy. Yet the target pulled the triggers, all of them. He was not comfortable being an evildoer, but under the right authoritarian dynamic and social pressure, he was fine being a doer for evil. It wasn't what was in his heart that led him down this dark path, but what was missing. He clearly had morals. I mean, he expressed them. He argued for them. What he lacked, though, was moral courage. And that was the opportunity the lab coat guy had in order to make evil happen. The participant was the target. His lack of moral courage was the opportunity and making him a tool for tyranny. The triangle of crime was complete. Should we limit the definition of a dangerous personality to only those that prey on the weak? Or can we also include those weak in character, not willing to stand up against the abuser or protect the abused? It's easy to point to the one who lacks morality as evil, because that is what evil is. Ta-da! But lacking moral courage makes you guilty of allowing evil to take ground. Standing by as others are abused, or worse, doing the bidding of the evil one. People under good authority will be good folks. People under evil authority will be evil folks. Not all of them, but enough of them. That is what history continues to tell us. But fault also is not entirely free from the victim, at least to those victims who unwittingly placed themselves into this situation. Unwittingly, meaning without wit, one who lacked prudence, wisdom in the way of caution and provisions for their own safety, void of discretion. Those not taking care of themselves and expecting others to keep them safe, delegating to what's best for them on authorities. They know what's best. I mean, my doctor knows health. My pastor knows all spiritual things. The politicians know all things of good order. These conclusions are thoughtless, simply ignorant of reality drowning in false perceptions. Maybe this triangle of tyranny is everybody. The evil, the guilty, and the foolish. I mean, you can't have tyranny without them. You're evil because you lack morality. <laughs> it's true. You're guilty because you lack courage. I don't think so. And you're the victim because you lack wisdom. What? is that how manipulators manipulate us is by finding that opportunity that they can exploit within their victims whether that is some secret dark desire to exploit or whether it's simply a weakness manipulators can't manipulate you if you're not exploitable if you are not weak that's the key word here Maybe it's better to stop looking around for dangerous personalities and focus on strengthening my own character. The prudent sees danger and hides himself while the simple go on and we all suffer for it. Climbing up this wall in Pandora's box takes effort, but the path of life leads upward for the prudent. 
that he may not suffer from the hell beneath. Now, these are not my words. Well, I mean, they are my words. I mean, I'm speaking to them, but these proverbs I'm paraphrasing are ancient, which means the problem has always been here. And there is no end to evil until evil is put an end and yourself. We have spent enough time here in Pandora's box answering these three common questions. So, who am I? I am weak. I am strong. Where am I? I am blind. I can see. And why is this happening? Because I am weak and blind. Because you are weak and blind. Hmm. Strengthen yourself and strengthen others. And share your insight so we can all see what evil is up to now. In other words, tether on, because life should not be a free solo climb, especially in Pandora's box. Hi, I'm James, host of Noble Peasant Podcast. Thank you for listening to this short series in Pandora's Box. And a huge thanks to my team, April, Ron, and Bill, who in front of the mic or behind the scenes continue to make all this happen. Please visit us on peasantpodcast.com. And if you're inclined to give us a tip, go to buymeacoffee.com and join us. All proceeds of this podcast goes towards this production, our learning center, and a monastery school keeping tuition down and salaries up. Until next time, God bless.